You may be seated. And if you have a Bible with you, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Luke, where we've been for this Advent series, which we are calling A Big Family Christmas. As we saw the first week that God prophesied that there would be one who would come, that is John the Baptist, that would turn the hearts of fathers to sons and the sons of the hearts of sons to fathers. There was one that was going to come that was going to be great, that would pave the way for the Messiah, that would bring everyone into his family through faith. And so we continue in this story as we've seen John born and we've seen Jesus, the proclamation from both the angel Gabriel for those two cousins. We've seen both of those already and we'll continue today in Luke chapter 1. I remember being on the playground as a young elementary student and uh, I saw a bunch of guys out in the field that were huddled up together. And one guy was down in the middle and as I got closer, I saw that he had a magnifying glass from the science room. And he had collected a pile of leaves in the huddle of these guys. And I'm like, what is going on here? I don't have any idea what he's doing. And some of the guys stepped back and all of a sudden, through the magnifying glass, I was looking at the leaves and the leaves started to sizzle. And then they caught on fire. And I'm sitting there like, I have never seen anything like this before. And all the guys are cheering, they're applauding, they're like, look at this, we're burning leaves through a magnifying glass. And of course, the teacher came over and ruined all the fun, stomped out the leaves and took away the magnifying glass, right? But I experienced something in that day. I knew that the sun was powerful. I also knew it was 92 million miles away, but yet I could still feel its heat. But knowing that the sun was powerful, through the magnifier, I was able to see that day the power of the sun harnessed in a fresh new way because that's what magnifying glasses do they make things that we normally can't see or that we miss they make them big and put them on display to be seen in a fresh way well we've seen already two birth announcements one for Johnny B that is John the Baptist the forerunner of Christ and the other for our Savior Jesus Both Elizabeth and and Mary, who are relatives, are now pregnant at the same time. And they're about to share joy together of both of them having having conceived and now pregnant. We pick up in our text in Luke 1, 39 through 45, at the, the first time they see each other. This is what Luke records for us. In those days, Mary arose, in verse 39, and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord can you sense the joy here do you feel it 
Can't you see the two ladies coming together, hugging, tears streaming down their face. One who was unable to conceive, now in her old age, is about to have a son. Mary is touching the six-month-old belly of her cousin Elizabeth. And in the power of the Spirit, Elizabeth says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Mary. A commentator tells us that this is a greeting between two women, but it is also just as much of a greeting between John and Jesus, who are very much alive in their mother's womb, and these two cousins meet each other for the very first time. These cousins, who are part of the same family, would bring all families together through faith into one family under this one, Jesus Christ. Elizabeth prophesies, for behold, when the sound of her, she tells, for behold, the sound of your greeting came to my ears. The baby in my womb leaped for joy. John, in his mother's womb, when he heard the sound of Mary, the mother of Jesus, leapt in her womb. Now, this is actually a foreshadowing of what John would do. He would find his joy in making much of Jesus. That was what he was born for. If you look behind me in John chapter 3, verse 29, it says this. This is John speaking. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. The story here is John the Baptist was the original hipster, all right? Living in the wilderness, eating locust and honey, wearing camel's fur. He was crazy with this long beard. He was an eccentric, amazing dude. And he loved declaring, as the prophecy said, that there was going to be one who would come that would save the nation of Israel and all who would believe. At this point, for six months, John is an absolute rock star. But Jesus shows up on the scene, and John's popularity starts to wane. And John had his own group of disciples, and they come to him and they say, John, everybody was coming to you, but now they're coming to Jesus. We're losing all these people that used to come hear you speak. Doesn't that bother you? And John says, this is great. I have fulfilled my purpose. The lesser I become, the bigger Jesus gets, and my joy increases. John gives us a little hint or the formula for joy in your life. And here's what I want to submit to you. The burden of this text this morning is this. My joy will increase the more I magnify Christ. Let's say that together. Read it with me. My joy will increase the more I magnify Christ. Do you want to have joy? This is how it happens. It's not about increasing yourself or others, but the more that you increase Christ in your life, the more joy you will have. Life is pretty exciting for Mary at this point, but it's also very difficult, isn't it? Here's Mary, a young teenage girl, now pregnant, unwed, and the story that she's telling people is that she was conceived, that she conceived by the Holy Spirit. How believable is that, right? It would have been a, a crazy, very difficult, a girl who was just minding her own business is now thrust into the spotlight in a very bad, what it would seem to everyone else, in a bad way. But she knew that God was working. 
And even in the midst of all of this, Mary sings a song of praise to God. It's called her Magnificat. She knows the Bible. She's 13, somewhere around that age. She knows the scriptures. And we already heard Hannah's song when she conceived Samuel. And so much of it is reminiscent of Hannah's song when she found that she was pregnant. And so here is this teenage girl singing praise to God. And we're going to see this morning, Mary is going to show us why Jesus is worthy of our magnification. So we're, we're a word-centered church. I would invite you at a reverence for God's word. Let's stand together as we read our, this main portion of our text this morning. Luke chapter 1, 46 through 56. I'm in the ESV this morning. It's different than what we normally use. It'll be on the screen behind me. It might be a little different in front of you. But here's what God's word says. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble state. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Mary begins this, why it's called her Magnificat. It's Latin for magnify. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary knows from this verse we see right here that she is not the co-Savior. She's in need of a Savior. Mary shows that she's not the Savior, but she's the magnifying glass that points others to the Savior. And she's going to tell us how to have a joy by magnifying Christ and why he's worthy of our magnification. So number one, why you should magnify Christ with your life is this, he sees you. Why magnify Christ in your life? Because he sees you. Mary says, he looked upon my humble estate. Last week we saw Mary was from an unknown town, an unknown dirt poor, dirt poor girl, yet God sees her and decides to bring about his salvation through her. Listen, Park Church, God cares for you. He really does. He really cares for you. Psalm 8, David, looking up at the stars, says, When I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? See, God is not a creator like a clockmaker who winds everything up in the world and then leaves it to run its own course. He is intimately involved in his creation and David and Mary are blown away that God is involved in every detail of their lives. 
that he would even consider them when everything else is happening in the world. It says God sees us. He's involved. He's not an aloof father. He's there. My oldest daughter and I, we were at Adventureland uh, this past summer and waiting in line for the monster, that big roller coaster that they have there at about 8.30 at night. And if you've been there at 8.30 at night, it's an absolute disaster of just unparented teenagers in line. And I love teenagers. But this line is just ridiculous as kids the whole time are just cutting everyone and saying, I got to go up to my friends up there. Excuse me, let me through. And what should be like a 20-minute wait turns into like an hour and a half because everyone is just going in front of you. And I'm standing there with my daughter and I said, that's it. And the next kid that came up and said, I got to go up. My friends are up there. I said, you're not going in front of me. And I turned around and I said, no one else for the rest of the night is going in front of us. My daughter and I are here and we're waiting in line and no one shall pass. It's like Gandalf, you shall not pass, right? And I think you'd turn to my daughter thinking she'd be really pleased by this, right? That her dad stood up and did this and she's like, dad, stop it. They're throwing ice at you and calling you a Karen. And I was like, yeah, but I stood up for us. God is not a passive parent. He's not a passive dad that leaves you alone and lets you do your own thing. He's involved. He's there. He sees you and he cares. Do you know the only time that God has ever given a name from a human in the Bible is by a young girl in great distress? Her name was Hagar. Maybe you remember her name. She was the servant girl of Sarah who had a son with Abraham when they were unable to conceive and Sarah was very jealous of this and begins to treat her very terribly and ends up sending Hagar away into the wilderness with her son and she runs away thinking that her and her son are about to die and God shows up and this is what Hagar says about God he says in Genesis 16 verse 13 so they called the name of the Lord who spoke to her you are a God of seeing For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks at me. So this isn't just a nice point that I brought out that God sees you. It's one of the names of God, El Roy, God who sees. He sees you today. He sees your greatest victories. He sees the moments when you're happy. He sees your greatest defeats. He sees you when you're discouraged, when you're down, when you're depressed, when you're in between and just feeling melancholy and dry. He sees it. He's there. And so because he is a God of seeing, he is worthy of our magnification. So let's look secondly at the reason why Christ should be magnified with your life. It's this. He sees you and he's holy and he is merciful. Mary says, holy is his name. Holy means to be set apart, to mean that God is perfect in his holiness. He is unlike you and me. He is altogether different. You know, the angels around the throne of God could be saying all kinds of different things about God, but what do they never stop saying about God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Perfectly holy, set apart from sin, and in fact, he hates sin. He cannot be around it. 
I was doing a Bible study with a new believer just a few weeks ago, and he was reading through the book of Exodus. When was the last time you read through the book of Exodus? And he was reading through that, and he said, you know what, Brad? Something stuck out to me about God getting angry. And normally people are upset by that. They don't like a God that gets angry. But he goes, I found it very comforting that God gets angry. I said, why is that? And he said, because it means he takes things seriously. It means that he has emotions like I do, yet he doesn't sin. And so God, without sinning, because of his perfection, because of his holiness, he is angry over sin and cannot be around it. And Mary says he is holy. And she loves that about her God. That he's not like us, he's set apart from us, but yet very near. She says at the same time, he, his mercy is for those who fear him. So if you understand God's holiness, you see it that you don't measure up to him, there is mercy that is available to you. If holiness means to be set apart, mercy means to be holding back deserved punishment. What you do deserve, punishment, is what you do not get. And so Mary says God is both holy and merciful at the same time. Well, how? This seems like a little bit of a dilemma. How can God actually be holy and to take care of sin, to not let it go unpunished, and yet be merciful and not let us have the punishment that we deserve? And the answer is found in the Savior. Jesus, who is full of grace and truth. He's not half of one and half of the other. He is full of both. And that Savior would go to the cross, which solves God's seeming dilemma of how does he be holy and merciful at the same time. At the cross, his holiness and his mercy meet in one place. Where the sins of the world are not swept under the rug. No, they're taken care of in Jesus Christ, the perfect Savior. And so when Christ died on the cross, your punishment was turned away from you and put on Jesus. And now, because your punishment was taken by a perfect sacrifice, you are able now to experience the mercy of God. And to see his holiness that could destroy you, yet to find mercy and be brought into his family because of grace alone at the cross of Christ. Are you with me this morning, Park? Does that do anything for you? I mean, come on. This is sound. Look at what God is and who he is. It's extraordinary. He's holy and he's merciful at the very same time. He takes our punishment upon himself, the Savior, and we're able to have mercy. So why should we magnify Christ in your life? He sees you. He's holy and merciful, and he's provided for your needs. He's provided for your needs and continues to do so. Look at verse 53. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, so much of this, Mary knows her scriptures, and so many of the things that she's saying connects us back to the Old Testament. As we see the name Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, what does that mean? My provider, right? Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Mary knew that God, along as Paul confirms later, my God will supply all my needs. Has God supplied your needs? Will he continue to do so? 
He always supplies our needs, and we should give him praise for that. That in his seeing of you, he sees your need and he provides for them. Jehovah Jireh, my God will provide. Where was that name first used? On the Mount of Sacrifice. When Abraham was going to slay his own son, Isaac, his firstborn and only son, God stops him and says, don't do it. And in the thicket, caught by its horns, he sees a ram. And that ram takes the place of his son. God provided a substitute for Isaac. So God will, yes, provide for your physical need. But he, this, in that moment with Abraham and Isaac, it foreshadowed that God would provide our spiritual needs. The father would send his son up a mountain and there would not be a lamb that was given. Jesus Christ himself was the lamb. And he died in our place. And so when Jesus says on the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. So God provides your physical needs and he also provides your spiritual needs. Mary then says the rich will be sent away empty. So who are those that God fills? God is not opposed to the rich but he does have a special place for the poor. Jesus said, I've come to preach good news to the poor. He's not opposed to the rich, but hear who God, his God is opposed for. Those who think they're spiritually rich without Jesus. And he says, who will be cared for? Those who know that they are spiritually bankrupt. That they can't do anything to get right with God. Those are the ones who will be filled. God will supply your needs. Do you have needs right now? He's gonna take care of you. Are you needy? Did you walk into church today thinking, man, I'm in need today? Or did you walk in thinking, man, I pretty much got it. This is just a nice thing I do. Let's live with a posture of neediness. I'm in great need and Christ has fulfilled our every need. Why should we magnify Christ with your life? Because he sees you. He's holy and merciful. He provides for your needs and he keeps his promises. Verse 54 and 55 says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary knew that God was the promise maker and the promise keeper. She's referring back to an old covenant, the Abrahamic covenant that was made with Abraham, where God said to him, through you, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Through your line, Abraham, will come the Savior, the Savior of the world, that all nations would be blessed through you, the one who will come. And that Savior was Jesus and Abraham believed that promise. And now Mary is saying, I'm seeing the fulfillment of that promise in Jesus. That's why 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. Verse 45, if you look at that. How does it say that we enter in or receive these promises? And blessed is she who believed 
that would be fulfilled of what has spoken to her from the Lord. So how do you receive the promises of God? Through faith alone. To trust that God has provided a savior and then I come in and say, I believe it. I don't do anything. There's nothing left for me to do to meet God halfway. I simply say, God, I believe that you were sent your son Jesus into the world and that he died and he rose again for me and I believe you. And I keep on believing that. So we magnify Christ because he sees you. He's holy, he's merciful. He provides for your physical and spiritual needs and he keeps his promises. God is never gonna break a promise to you, ever. I've broken so many promises in my life. I've had promises that were made to me that were broken. Some intentional, some not. God will never do that. He doesn't make a promise that he doesn't keep. Every promise comes in him, and you can trust Jesus, believe it. So why should we magnify Christ? My joy will increase the more I magnify Christ. Your joy is in direct proportion to how big Christ is in your life. So is Christ big in your life or is he small? If he's big, you're going to have more joy despite your circumstances. If he's small, you're going to be an angry person that's lacking in joy. The two are connected. Because see, you and I were made to magnify. That's what we were designed for. A magnifying glass without an object serves no purpose. A magnifying glass does not work in the dark. In order to fully be used to its potential, it must be pointed at something. It must be pointed at, it can't point to itself. How silly is it to think that a magnifying glass can magnify itself? It's just a tool. How silly for us to think that human beings exist to magnify ourselves, to make ourselves better. It goes against the design of who we are. And the more that we say, no, I got to focus in on me, make myself better. How's that joy going for you? It's not there. Because you weren't made for yourself. You were meant to magnify another. So what are you magnifying in your life? Are you magnifying your troubles? Are your troubles really big right now because that's what you're focusing in on? Magnifying a hardship in your life? Are you magnifying the riches that you have or the riches that you want to have and you desire and that's the direction of your life and you're thinking, if I can just get more of that or get to a place where I feel comfortable, then I'll have joy. Are you magnifying your family? If I can just make much of my family and make them everything in my life, then I'll be joyful. It's meant to love your family, but not to magnify the family. Are you magnifying experiences, travel, having the right things? If I can have the right stuff, if I could just get that one gift, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have joy. If Christ is big, you will have joy. If he's small, you will be lacking. What does your life look like to others? If you were to ask someone else, it might be scary, what does my life magnify? Maybe you should ask someone that today. If you were to look at my life, what is it that's most important to me? What am I magnifying? What do your coworkers, what do your friends and family say you are magnifying with your life? 
Mary knew she wasn't the savior. She was the magnifier. You and I are the magnifiers in this world. To be what God, what people see God through. To see his power on display. When I saw those leaves burning on the playground, I, was, I, I could not believe the power that I was seeing. In the same way, your life is to be what people look through and to see Jesus. And they go, I know that he was there, but wow, he really is great. What do people see when they look at your life? Be the magnifying glass that God uses to put his power on display for others to see. This Christmas, don't magnify everything else and miss it. The gifts, the food, the candy, whatever it is, enjoy those things. And here's what's wonderful. If you magnify Christ first, you'll actually be able to enjoy those other things for your enjoyment. To say Christ is the biggest in my life and now because of that I'm living how it was designed. I'm able to enjoy those other things in life. Magnify Christ in this season and enjoy it. But this isn't an individual quest. As the psalmist says in Psalm 34, oh magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let's be a church that magnifies Christ so intensely that the real Jesus is undeniable in our community. That people look at your life and say, you serve a big God and I want in. I've got to think about this. It's undeniable. I have to see it. I have to know for myself. Let's be a church that lives that way, that has a joy because we personally and together are magnifying him. And where do we go to most? We magnify him when we look at his cross where his blood was shed and we magnify him when we look at an empty tomb where he conquered death. Let's pray together.